Today's reading is from Acts 9, 1 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by the way by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, that's going to be step number one. But we're going to try something together, a little exercise, and I need your help. Um, it's a vocal exercise, and you're the choir. Uh, so let me walk you through how this is going to work. And this is only going to work if you have a level of confidence about you that you can just follow along, okay? So when I stand in this particular spot and I jump, I want you to sing this note. Ba. So sing that with me. Ba. Good job. Way to go. Already A-plus students here. So when I jump, ba. Ba. Great. So then when I'm jumping over to this spot, you're going to sing this note. Ba. Ba. So let's try that again. Ba. Ba, and then this one, 
There we go. There we go. Bring it all the So if I go like this, let's just do review. Now I'm going to do it without singing, and I'm going to trust you to sing it, okay? So here we go. Here we go. Right? You're doing great. You're doing great. Excellent. Now we're going to mix it up just a little bit. You're doing great. Keep staying focused. This is really important. Okay, let's do it together. <laughs> Keep it going. Oh, look at, okay, okay, okay. Now listen, I didn't have to tell you what this note was, did I? Isn't that fascinating? How did you get there? I, you know, I never explained that this is the note that you see. How, did, how do you explain this? Patterns, okay? Patterns are so crucial. You've heard the song, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Little did you know that that would make it into a sermon this morning, but there it was. You've heard the pattern, and you also know, okay, when you're moving in this movement, you're hitting these different intonations such that when I move here, that must be higher. Patterns. You and I, we live, we love, and trust patterns so much in our lives in ways that we don't even realize. I mean, our lives are made of patterns. Algorithms are what are behind, you know, our search engines and broader social engineering. Stock projections are based upon, I got to catch my breath, based upon <laughs> companies of a similar type, similar structure, and a similar context, projecting then based upon their surrounding context and their output, what their success or failure will be. Stereotypes are what? They are looking at a few actions of a particular people group and then, then making these broader pattern assumptions of values and actions for a whole people group. Resumes. What are resumes? They're a place where you present patterns of previous success to a potential employer as an indicator of future success, <laughs> right? You're putting your best foot forward. And when it comes to a felony, the reason that feels like such a risk to an employer, why is that? Patterns. Whether we realize it or not, you and I believe a, a, a very base and, and crucial structure and understanding of the world. And here it is, that our patterns or the, our past patterns determine our future. Our past patterns determine, the patterns of our past determine our future. Past patterns of failure feel like they solidify future patterns of failure. Past patterns of success seem to be indicators of future patterns of success. And listen, in a lot of ways, this is a helpful framework to navigate life. But this morning's story actually challenges the fatalism of that claim, this deep belief that you and I, without even realizing it, base so much of our lives around Saul, as we've heard read this morning, is this unique exception that actually comes to define a more hopeful rule. This morning, we're continuing our journey through the book of Acts, and we find Saul is someone who defies the odds. He changes so much so that it takes not just weeks, not just months, but literally years for people who actually believe that people can change to believe that this guy, Saul, changed for the better. And the reason this is so hopeful for you and me this morning, it, it isn't hopeful that, that there are people out there who can defy the odds, that this is something that's possible for other people or for some people. What is so amazing about this morning's message and, and my understanding, my framing and understanding what we see here in Acts, and it's such a crucial claim in the Christian faith, 
is that everyone can have an odds-defying story. Everyone. You don't have to have access, and these are helpful things, but you don't have to have access to the best therapy money can buy. You don't have to have a master's level education. You don't have to be born into the perfect family or have an iron will. Everyone can have an odds-defying story. That's true for you. That's true for me. And when you start thinking about those destructive patterns in your life, when you start thinking about those things that maybe you yourself, are the, you, you're the only one who knows about them, or maybe they're very public, whatever they might be, this is, this is why this is such an important message, your emptiness, your heartache, your, your sense of helplessness. The patterns of our past do not have to determine our future, and there's just untold hope here. But how? Like, what's the secret to this unbelievable change? And this morning, when we walk through our text, we're going to see what the secret of change isn't, because there's a lot of misconceptions out there, and we're just going to touch on a couple of them. Then we're going to look at what the secret of change is and how no matter the arrangement of your past, you can end your life on a high note. Okay? And it's right here in this open secret found in Scripture. So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, beginning there in verse 1. If you're using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 917. Look with me here at verses 1 and 2. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So leaving from Jerusalem to Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, belonging to the Christian faith. This was an early phraseology used to describe the followers of Jesus, the way. Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So amidst Saul's anger, amidst his threats, amidst murder, when you survey the patterns of the destructive life of Saul at this point, we actually can get a crystal clear picture of what the secret of change isn't. The secret to change isn't. First, here's what we're going to discover. First, contrary to popular opinion, the secret to dynamic change is not summed up in what privileges you're given at birth. Not completely, okay? I mean, look at Saul. He was a genuine member of the nation of Israel. This is a people called out by God, a nation created by God that actually inherited the promises of greatness that God had made to this nation in order to make the world great. And if you get more specific and you start looking at Saul and his immediate family and some of the privileges he had as an individual. He was born into a family with influence, signified by the fact that he was also a Roman citizen. This came with untold cost early. To, to have Roman citizenship cost you so much. This was a place of extreme privilege in the first century world. Not only that, he had both the talents and the opportunity to stutter, study, to stutter, <laughs> to study under Gamaliel one of the most well-known rabbis in the first century, and to do so at age 15. And even though he was born into all of this, it wasn't what led to the life-changing change, life change, this life-giving change we see later. The privileges at birth that, the, that, that Saul had aren't what brought about the secret of change in his life. Now also, 
here's, here's, this is another misconception. Also, the secret to change, contrary to many others' perspective, isn't summed up in how hard you work. <laughs> no one worked harder or followed the rules more religiously than Saul. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, which means he kept other religious folks religious. He was like the auditor's auditor, the fact checker's fact checker. Anything you can do, Saul could do better. Like, I mean, <laughs> and then if you got 99% on an exam, he would come up with 101% and then he would show the teacher how they made a spelling error. Like, this is the kind of guy who went above and beyond. If you gave a homeless guy a granola bar, he would give this guy job training, connect him, and get him placed in a temporary housing. I mean, Saul always went above and beyond. His attention to detail and his diligence toward excellence was borderline obsessive. He studied the Stoics, the Cynics. He mastered rhetoric and memorized most, if not all, of the Hebrew scriptures. He'd work before you got up, He'd work harder when he's working next to you. He kept working when you went to bed, and when he went to sleep, he slept harder and faster than any of us, right? I mean, he worked hard. And his endless zeal, you know what it led him to? To this untold rage we see right here in this passage. Untold rage toward anyone who didn't measure up, anyone who didn't align, anyone, well, that, that wasn't perfect. And so is it any surprise that he... He seeks out, he chases down, he imprisons, he murders anyone who follows a Jesus that challenges everything his life has been built around. The pattern of Saul's life all pointed, all these patterns, they pointed to a life of success within the system of Judaism, influence within the temple, and a pillar of the law. But even still, he was consumed with rage, consumed with perfectionism. And as we would see, if he were to rise to the top as he was destined to, it would be the demise of the surrounding world and even to his own misery. But something breaks the pattern, doesn't it? We heard the story read, brilliantly written by the historian Luke. Saul on the road to a town, Damascus, which is many, in many ways like any other town. And he's doing what he's always been doing. He goes after some Christians, men, women, and children. He's relentless because that's what Saul does. That's who Saul is. But then Saul is suddenly knocked off his feet. And can you just imagine this moment? I mean, just how groundbreaking this is, the grandeur and the brilliance of the resurrected Jesus, the Son of God, ascended and yet condescended to actually come and intervene and stop Saul. And this is so important, because when you look across the book of Acts, Luke tells this story three times. He tells it once here in chapter 9, he tells it another time in chapter 22, and then another time, actually, in chapter 26. I mean, anytime something is repeated in Scripture, we pay attention. Anytime something is repeated at length three times, and then hand-copied. I mean, remember, this was before they knew about the printing press, that it was coming down the road. Anything that's repeated and copied in detail in an extended form three times within Scripture, we pause and we dig deep. And it's here we find actually the secret to breaking destructive patterns in our lives. The secret to change in your life and mine. And the secret to breaking destructive patterns, the secret to change is this, a humbling encounter with the risen Jesus. Look again here at Saul's humbling encounter. If you begin in verse 3, he's like going along the road and this light envelops Saul. 
And he falls down, like it says, he falls to the ground. And in the midst of all this brilliance, he's vulnerable, he's helpless, and he hears this voice that says, you're persecuting me. This untold power is surrounding him. And so Saul cries out, and he's like, well, who are you, Lord? Like, what's happening? Who is this that's doing this to him? And out of all the names, he never expected to hear. All of his life, remember, is targeted towards perfectionism, living in this realm of being the best, of working the hardest, of having all the privileges in the world in the first century. The name he never, ever expected to hear is I'm Jesus, the one that you've been targeting your whole life to press against. Now go to Damascus and I'll tell you what to do when you get there. And after seeing the light, after hearing this voice, after having this amazing experience with Jesus, Saul is left blind. Utterly helpless and broken. I mean, the soldiers know Saul, a man of confidence and determination. And now the text says, right? We heard it read that he has to be led around by the hand. And he won't eat anything. He won't drink anything. And where does the story go? Finally, after a few days, one of the followers of Jesus, one of those people that he's been trying to imprison, one of those people he's been trying to murder, one of those people that he's been putting every bit of his energy to, 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 to totally destroy, Ananias, one of these followers of Jesus, comes and places his hands on Saul. And Jesus heals Saul. And who's the first person he sees when he opens his eyes? But a Christian. One of these followers of the way. Can you imagine when all of your life has been heading in one trajectory, all the patterns of your life said you would end up here, and then you have this untold breaking encounter, this humbling encounter. The result for Saul was utter brokenness. I mean, have you ever been there? I mean, Saul, Saul, one of the hardest working, privileged men on the planet in the first century, he comes to the end of himself and he stops pushing against Jesus. And according to verse 18, the unthinkable happens. He rises and what? He's baptized. He associates himself with this whole movement that he was one of the most zealous oppositions toward. The unthinkable happens. He becomes a Christian. And, and this is where we pause for a moment because, listen, if, if we want to break the pattern, these destructive patterns in our lives, our will must be broken. If we want to break the patterns, these broken patterns that we have in our lives, then our will must be broken. You know, so often I think there's, there's a lot of folks who are talking about one of the biggest problems in Christianity today within Western culture are those who grew up in church and are maybe disconnected from church. This broader category of what many people are calling uh, the nuns or now are living in unbelief. And I don't think that's actually the biggest barrier to what God's doing in the world. The biggest barrier to what God is doing in the world isn't unbelief, it's actually misbelief. You see, we have we are still a world full of believers, people who believe very strongly, who have a framework and an understanding and a hope as to how the world works. But the danger comes when we believe wrongly and do so religiously. Religious faith without the gospel at the center always leads 
to violence, to brokenness, and to oppression. And the alternative we see here, instead of misbelief, is actually a humbling encounter that helps us to see, helps us to understand, helps us feel at, at our core that outside of Jesus, we are wrong. Outside of Jesus, we are weak, broken, and destructive, regardless of what privileges we've been given, regardless of how hard we work to be good enough, and we are liable for those destructive actions. And to change, we must have this humbling encounter where the confidence that we have in these misbeliefs crumbles. And we're actually placed in chaos because only then, only then when all the confidence we've placed in these misbeliefs, these, these patterns that have been culturally informed, only when they begin to crumble are we then open to even the possibility, the idea of change, that there's something better out there. And that's what often people call rock bottom. It's kind of like if you take all of your savings and you invest it in a company and over time, you begin to brag about how you're seeing certain, you know, uh, dividends increase. But then you discover it's nothing more than a Ponzi scheme. And you feel utterly, just utterly embarrassed and broke and empty. It's kind of like talking trash before any sort of sporting event. And you go in and you're just like, oh, we're going to totally win. And then the competition mops the floor with you. You feel utterly broken and embarrassed and humiliated. It's like stepping into a relationship that everybody around said, hey, 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 that's going to end in your pain and destruction. Don't do it. And you still say, you know what? No matter what all of you say, I'm going to do it anyway. And then the relationship does end in pain and destruction and heartache. And you feel utterly humiliated. You feel at the end of yourself. It's that rock bottom moment. It's what many who engage with addiction call the wake-up call. It's the moment where you can finally admit how stupid you were. And yeah, I said stupid. Like there's moments where we just say, oh man, you look back at your life and you go, that was stupid. Or how self-deceived, how self-destructive those decisions were. It's where you can admit you were wrong. It's where you admit you need others to speak truth into your life. It's where you, you admit that you need other people to help you, that you can't make it on your own anymore, no matter how much you want to be independent. And the secret to change, listen, is leaning into that humbling encounter and facing the brutal facts about life rather than just trying to do some image management and so patching up our ego and avoiding reality, we need to face the brutal facts. And the only way, listen, life is broken enough, just broadly, and we're broken people that there will come a moment for every single one of you, if you ha it hasn't happened already, well, you will have a humbling encounter with something in some aspect of your life. The only way it won't end in despair, when you feel broken, when you feel wrong, when you feel alone, the only way it won't end in despair is if in that humbling encounter you see the risen Jesus calling out your name. I mean, imagine this moment. Once again, let's turn back to our story. The resurrected Jesus who if he has the power to conquer death, think about that. Amidst all of our scientific uh, discoveries and progress, still no one, we've, made, we've been able to extend life, but no one has been able to vanquish the foe of death. Still everyone dies, even smuckers, folks, who make it to 110. Like there's a, 
end point. Like there's, death is still knocking on the door except for what Jesus has promised and what Jesus alone has been able to do. The one who's defeated death, the one through whom everything is created that was created, this Jesus confronts Saul. The one who's slaughtering, persecuting, threatening his people. And how does he do it? Look again at verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, at first blush, it can seem as if, you know, Saul's name is being repeated here because Jesus is trying to get Saul's attention, kind of like I am with my kids. Ava, 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 you know, like, that's too close, but home. But, that, but it's much more, scholars have noted that this, this, this repetition of the name is much more a gentle invitation to intimacy rather than a lack of attention or awareness. It's a gentle invitation to intimacy. Saul, Saul. It's like a group of friends who call together an intervention for one of their friends because they can't see the pain they're wrecking on their own lives. It's like a father who stands there sobbing, holding his child who's been far from home, far from God for years, and as he's holding her, he just whispers her name over and over again. This is, this is the element of compassion when Jesus is whispering, Saul, Saul. This is, this is Christ's love. This is his grace. And I want you to think about that. Jesus, full of untold, untold power, when he comes to break into these broken patterns. When, when he encounters Saul, when he encounters us, when we encounter him, Jesus breaks us with mercy. Out of all the things he could do, Jesus breaks us with mercy. He meets Saul, and instead of giving him a swift death due to judgment because he's opposing the very good work of God and actually oppressing God's people... Instead of giving a swift death penalty, which many of us would be much more prone to do, Jesus extends mercy to Saul, just like he did when he went to the cross for the world, including Saul. And this is because this is who Jesus is. Jesus extends mercy when he first engages you and me, when he first engages everyone. This is why as we sang and as we hear in scriptures, while we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. Saul, later on in life, when he's writing to the church in Rome, he grapples with this. I mean, this encounter shapes the way he understands how God works in the world. And what does he say in Rome? As he says, it's God's kindness, literally his mercy that leads us to repentance, to change. Out of all the ways with untold power that God can engage you and me, he breaks us with his mercy, and we so desperately need to be broken. To see our misbelief in ourselves, our egos, our works, our culture, whatever tries to replace what is our best good, which is Jesus, and he invites us to a better change, and don't you want that change? No matter where you are in your journey with Christ, don't you want that to be more true? Of you. I mean, are you tired of the same patterns of brokenness? The secrets, the heartache? Well, the secret to change is none other than a humbling encounter with the risen Jesus, where He breaks our broken patterns 
by first breaking us and praise God, he breaks us with his mercy. When we looked at the cross and remember all that God gave, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And listen, this, this humbling encounter isn't really a one and done sort of deal. In many ways, there is an initial turning point, what is often called conversion or repentance. But these humbling encounters, is, it really becomes a lifelong, journey, lifelong journey where we consistently are confronted with the mercy of Jesus. And it consistently humbles us. And it heads us in a very different trajectory. And if you're anything like me, I want to... I sat there and I go, well, what are some of the key, what's a key marker to know that really I am undergoing this kind of change? How do you know Jesus is working in you? How do you know you've had this humbling encounter? You know what happens when you have a humbling encounter with the risen Jesus, when you've felt the depths of your brokenness, when you've recognized your need for forgiveness and have really embraced his mercy? Here's what happens. Your life follows now Jesus' pattern. It picks up a whole new pattern. And that's what we see here with Saul, isn't it? After he has this humbling encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus, instead of persecuting those who follow Jesus, now Saul becomes someone who promotes, proclaims, and preaches Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. He's convincing everybody that he comes in contact with now that this is the Christ, that he was wrong. Instead of force and violence, what do we see him do? Now he's one who extends mercy. He's one who's promoting forgiveness. One who's chasing after others in love rather than with a whip and a sword. Instead of being driven by guilt and an overriding feeling of inadequacy, he's now driven by gratitude such that no matter his condition, he can say, I'm content. How amazing is that? Instead of arrogance, someone who has all of it together such that he's always looking for the fault in other people in order to promote himself and quiet that inner rage, he now exudes humility. Instead of presenting himself always as strong, what does he say? He always now boasts in his weaknesses and says that I am the chief of sinners. Instead of being distanced from the church, scorning the church, what does he do? He starts churches. <laughs> He supports churches. He's, he's focused on helping other people build up the church and love the church. And then the unthinkable, and that day happens. Now, now, it's not like Saul got a new name. This is so important. But Saul, in Hebrew, means sought after. In other words, like praised one. Like this one that's lifted high. Someone that you'd want. Something that you'd really desire. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. But from this moment on... Saul goes by Paul or Paulos, which is a Greek name. The Hebrew of Hebrews now being ultimately defined by a Greek name. And you know what that name means? Humble, small. <laughs> and his whole calling revolves around not chasing after the elite, but going after the outcasts, the second-class citizen, the Gentiles, who everywhere else people say, we don't want them to be a part. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Everybody's welcome. That's the kind of radical change such that whenever we think of Saul, we think of Paul, humble, small. Out of all the people that Saul could become, no one would have guessed, the patterns would not have predicted that he would become Paul. 
See, only this kind of life-altering, life-giving change is possible because of a humbling encounter with the risen Jesus. And I want to stop there. And I, I want to ask, is, is this what your life looks like? I mean, don't you want that? Don't you want that humility, that grace? Isn't that so attractive? That sort of forgiveness that no matter what comes, you can, you can be free of bitterness. That no matter what comes, you can actually know contentment. That no matter who comes in your midst, you see them as valued. And I want you to be honest because, listen, dishonesty is not going to help you here. Be, be brutally honest with yourself. Is, does your life follow Jesus' pattern? Or are you still believing in your own hard work? If you can just be good enough, right? And it, be honest, isn't that exhausting? I can guarantee it's exhausting for the people who are around you. Because um, whenever you're constantly trying to justify yourself, you become the greatest critic of others. Not constructive criticism, but criticism to tear down in order, if you can't build yourself up, to just make yourself level with others. Don't you want to break the pattern? Because all of this is so interconnected. You need to encounter something, someone bigger than your good works, even your best work, and it has to be Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're still leaning on kind of the privileged position you have or being seen as someone in the world. You feel like you've been set up for success and, and to embrace Jesus and really to follow the pattern of Jesus challenges all of these privileges. And you feel like you've got it made. Something's got to change. Maybe you're here and you're scorning Jesus' church rather than letting the church be a healing place. It can be for you. I mean, even with Saul, he does not regain his sight without the work of the church. He can't do this alone. Jesus is teaching him this lesson right from the beginning. You will not know the change that he offers in the gospel by going it alone. It requires inviting and making yourself vulnerable before other followers of Jesus, which is why community groups are so important because they're a great space to do that. Quick plug. <laughs> Who cares if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul, right? Who cares? The patterns of your past, please listen, they do not have to determine your future. You can have a life that beats the odds. And it's available right here, right now, if you would just stop running and bask in the light of the risen Jesus and embrace his mercy he so desperately wants to give. He's calling your name, too, in compassion and kindness and invitation to intimacy. He's stopping you from going further down the road of destruction today. Don't you feel it? Don't you hear that resonance in your heart? What is God speaking into your, your life right at this moment? No matter where you are in your journey, where is Jesus saying, don't go any further? And you know, when we think about the patterns of brokenness in our past, it's a terrifying thing to think about what that could mean for our future. But when we come to God, you know what's so good about who God is? When you look at his patterns in the past, we can have untold hope that he always wants for you and I a better future. When we look at our patterns, it brings fear. But when we look at his patterns, it brings hope if we see him for who he is. And he sent his son for this reason, to die for you, to make that mercy freely available to us 
But it won't come. Listen, it will not come without you letting him humble you. It will not come without him letting, without you letting him show you how broken you are without him, how much you need his mercy, how you need to just surrender to his call to follow him in every way because he wants to give you all things that are good for you. This is the beauty of weakness that we've been journeying through throughout the book of Acts. This is the pathway to dynamic change, to victory in Christ. And listen, if you do this, you'll never be the same. If you let Jesus in, you can break the pattern. You can live differently. You can even think about the world differently. You can love differently. But, but I do want to end with a warning. Because when we do this, when, when, when our wills are broken and the patterns of brokenness are interrupted, and we have this humbling encounter with Jesus and we say yes, and we stop running from him, that doesn't mean we're saying yes to an easier life without suffering. We're actually saying yes to a harder life, but it is a better life and it is more robust. Amen. And who knows how God will use you if you don't let your arrogance get in the way. Here's one of the most beautiful stories. I mean, one of the most beautiful truths about this is that God may have bigger plans for you than you have for you. If you just let him kill your arrogance and invite you to a path of humility. You may want to keep playing the same tune, right? There's comfort in the familiar. There's comfort in running through the same patterns. And man, are they alluring. But God, he doesn't want anyone in here to be a statistic. Instead, he wants to invite every single one of us to now not play our own tune, but to join in his grand symphony. And you know what the greatest symphonies have in common? They have a mixture of patterns and surprise such that when they reach the climax, you sit there and wonder, and that's what he wants to do in your life and our lives together. So why won't you let him? Let's pray. Thank you for the good news of who you are, God. Thank you that the patterns of our past do not have to determine our future. The patterns of our pain, the patterns of our brokenness, our shame. And I pray that this morning we would have a fresh, just gathered together, hearing this humbling encounter with the risen Jesus, that you would consistently be breaking us for our own good and that we would bask in your mercy. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts. Thank you for the hope of change. Unbelievable change. May we believe in what you can do in and through us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.